Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I know that you've spent your week following sports. Are you getting any sleep now, or are you just staying up all night watching the Korean baseball organization? How'd you know? So, so <laughs> How look, did I know? I follow our High Hopes Phil's Twitter feed, where yeah. you're literally giving real-time commentary of Aaron Altair's progress. Look, I told you a while back that I was going to take on a team from the KBO, and that I had friends that were also taking on teams from the KBO. Mine happens to be the NC Dinos. My NC Dinos, which I'll now refer to them as, have Aaron <laughs> Altair. And just so everybody knows, my NC Dinos are now in first place at 12-3. and three. In fact, in fact, two days ago, they scored nine runs in the ninth, including a three-run homer by Aaron. So, everybody, come on, let's go. There's room on the train. Hop on board. Message to sports everywhere. Please come back soon. <laughs> Jeff, uh, I haven't it's baseball. Gotten, What's wrong with baseball? I haven't gotten into it. I watched it a little bit the other night. Uh, the the three-month-old was up wanting to hang out and eat, and so I watched a little Korean baseball while feeding him and showing him what was going on. He also believes that we want real baseball back, but we will figure that out. Um, what are you doing to keep yourself busy now? Are you loaded up on I documentaries just, or where I are just you? told you what I'm doing. I'm watching KBO baseball. I've watched the last dance. Now I probably watched every episode at least twice now. Um, I'm watching, I'm still watching what I call vintage sports. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm waiting for real sports. I am not going to MMA, so that's not, You're not there. No, and I I'm, heard you on with Keith Pompey on uh, Pompey on Sixers the other day saying that you're not going to NASCAR. So we'll we'll leave that there. Uh, we'll talk so, about that so later. We broke news on that show that Keith covered NASCAR. That, 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 that I had no Keith idea was covering NASCAR while he was down in Virginia. I want to talk about that more with you in a little bit, but I want to get to our first guest because. This one really excites both of us. Uh, we're thrilled to be joined on the show by award-winning ESPN reporter and author John Barr. If you're not familiar with his work, he's working on the upcoming documentary film on Roy Halladay, Imperfect, which premieres next Friday night, May 29th. He's also authored the book Start by Believing, Larry Nasser's Crimes, The Institutions That Enabled Him, and The Brave Women Who Stopped the Monster, which came out earlier this year. John, thanks so much for joining us. We we really appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is uh, Roy Halladay is one of Jeff's guys with his son, and so when we saw the piece coming out, I knew that we were going to talk about it. But then when Jeff said that we had the chance to talk to you about it, it became even more special to me um, because I know how much Roy means to a lot of people in the area. But you also seem to try and treat the story with a lot of balance in terms of um, his successes and his struggles. Can you talk a little bit about where the idea came from for this particular segment? Sure. It was uh, last summer. Uh, it was before he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I was approached by a producer named Mike Farrell and ultimately wound up working with Mike and, and another producer, Brian Rivera, who's uh, – the pride of West Hampton Township and uh, very much steeped in Philly sports um, history. And um, and those two guys uh, and I started having a conversation 
last summer about about this story and just how you know there had been a number of articles written about Roy through the years, but no one had really done a definitive like deep dive on his life in full, at least not on the television side of things. Um, and so we wanted to do that. And then there was a report that came out in the week uh, that prior to his induction into the Hall of Fame uh, in Sports Illustrated where um, his father, uh, his sisters, both sisters, uh, and his mom spoke uh, about his history of drug use. But the one person who didn't speak in that article was Brandy Halliday, his widow. And and it struck me that there was probably just a lot, and Mike and Brian, that there was probably just a lot more there that we didn't know. Um, and so that led to um, a several week and month on and off again discussion with Brandy about whether she would feel comfortable engaging with us to do a story. And ultimately she agreed in uh, December of last year to sit down and do a very lengthy and far-reaching interview. And that opened the door to a, a bunch of other material that we just pr previously were unaware of. John, what was it like to sit down with Brandy and have that kind of discussion? We've all, we all know about the tragic plane accident. I, I don't think anybody knew the background, at least the background that we've seen in the trailer. And by the way, if nobody has seen the trailer, the trailer alone is compelling. So how, how do you do that? And, and what was it like to sit down with Brandy and have that frank discussion? Yeah, well, initially we, we just flew down and talked to her. Mike and I flew down and spoke to her, and we, we said, look, we don't have any expecta expectation that you're going to agree to an interview, but we'd just like to talk to you about this. And she agreed to meet with us, and, you know, we, we met over lunch, and I thought it was just going to be a lunch meeting. Well, it turned into five hours. <laughs> I mean, the lunch crowd cleared out, and the dinner crowd came in. And, and I think she, she that day wound up at a place where, uh, she was comfortable speaking with it and in many respects wanted to speak about it to further contextualize it, uh, but wanted to do so in a way that would have a message behind it. This, you know, so often in the media we engage in, in what somebody long before me labeled grief porn. And I didn't want to do that. And I, we didn't have any desire to do that. You know, get, you know, you get the grieving loved one on the set, right? It's, it feels exploitive. It feels wrong. And, and I know there's a sentiment out there that we should let this man rest in peace. And, and I believe me, I am sensitive to that. But Brandy was coming at it from the perspective of wanting to put a lot of what has been reported about Roy in terms of his drug use in the proper context. This isn't a guy who took prescription painkillers to get high. This is a guy who took prescription pain pills because he was Roy Halliday and he was getting paid $20 million a year, and he was wired in such a way that he wanted to bust his ass and get out there every fifth day. And that's the kind of thing she wanted to, to, to communicate. She wanted to communicate how he was torn between his desire to compete, his body failing him, and this chronic pain, which he lived with during his last few years as a Philly. You, you see it in the title, Imperfect, and a, a theme that seems to go throughout is that search for perfection. And uh, in, the, in the preview, you, you see her say, Brandy say, he was a man who expected to be perfect or seen as perfect. I saw how hard that was on him. Can you talk about how difficult it was for Roy? I enjoyed 
you, it looked like you had some videos of him at a younger age and how competitive he was. But it seemed like that search for perfection for him started at such a young age that it comes across that it wore on him. Can you talk about how hard that was for him to carry that burden, it seems? Yeah, so Roy grew up in Arvada, Colorado, which is a suburb right outside of Denver. And his father, who's also Roy, they're, they're both, they're, their legal names are Harry. He's Harry Leroy Halliday. <laughs> but they called Roy the pitcher Little Roy and Big Roy, the father, Big Roy. Um, so he grew up the son of a corporate pilot and a homemaker. His father, when he bought the home in Arvada, uh, bought a home that had uh, a basement that was more than 60 feet long. It was close to 70 feet wide. And he did it because he wanted to be able to put a full-length pitcher's mound and batting cage downstairs for his son. And it was at a very young age that Roy would work out in that basement sometimes three to four hours a day, according to his sister Heather. And, and that's where those legendary work habits were forged in that Colorado basement. Um, you know, his, and his father was very demanding. And there, there's division within the family as to whether he was pushed too hard too young. You know, his, his dad maintains that there was no pushing, that Roy, if anything, he had to reel Roy in. Uh, that that it, he you know his son enjoyed uh, basically developing his skills and, and and aspired to be a major league pitcher from a very young age, uh, but there are some who question whether you know he may have been denied some measure of his childhood because of the degree to which he worked out so young. Uh, so, Brandy Roy's widow. Uh, she underscored to us in many different conversations that she thinks Roy's lifelong desire not to disappoint people could sort of be rooted in his childhood. And, and that's a theme that, that she touched on in her discussions with us. Um, but, you know, this, this is a guy who had an unbelievable will and desire to succeed and, and a work ethic that, you know, was legendary in baseball circles. And that work ethic started as a kid in that basement in Arvada, Colorado. You know, it's interesting, John, you mentioned that he had this desire not to want to let people down. As you know, Roy Halladay is a, is a hero, an idol to so many young kids who grew up during that time period. My son wore 34 throughout his years in baseball, and so many kids wore it or wanted to wear it because it was Roy Halladay. Do you feel like Roy felt any pressure in addition to the pressure of being per perfect as far as a pitcher, being a role model? I think he did. Uh, and my, look, my son wore the jersey too. Um, you know, I've told the story many times after his death. Uh, I just put something out on social media about how the night he threw the no-hitter against the Reds, um, I happened to be there. I was covering the game, and after I'd, long after I'd filed my story, I'm winding my way through the the tunnel in Citizens Bank Park, and I, you know, I had uh, my family on the on the phone, and I rounded a corner, and there was Roy. You know, he had gotten done with all of his media interviews, and and it and I put the phone down to say thanks for doing the interview, and thanks for giving us something special to watch tonight, and then when I put the phone back up to my ear, it was my then seven year old son. Um, who said, Dad, was that really Roy? And then I had a complete fanboy moment where I blew <laughs> all the protocols out of the water, and I actually put 
my son on with Roy Halliday, and he took my phone and he talked to my kid for about a minute. And you know, it's in that minute where you realize, you know what, this is a guy who's just been gifted with this supreme talent, but he's just a regular person and he's and he's very kind. Like there are so many major league pitchers that you wouldn't even dream, or or professional athletes you wouldn't even dream of approaching with a request like that. But he was gracious enough to indulge, and and that's why you admired him. That's why you wanted your kid to wear his jersey. And so I was mindful of all of that going in. And I, and I can tell you that this didn't tarnish that for me. If anything, I recognized the man, like so many others, like millions of others in this country, just dealt with some real-life issues. He battled some mental health issues like depression, like anxiety, like attention deficit disorder. He battled addiction issues, which landed him in inpatient rehabilitation centers two times. But that doesn't diminish who he was as a person. You know, he 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 was a supreme competitor, and, and he was a he was a genuinely nice guy. And you can be all of those things at the same time. From the trailer, we see Brandy saying, <clears throat> "Imperfect people can have perfect moments," and she also hates the word perfect. But it, so. To me, it seems like there's a dichotomy of the challenges and pressure that he faced off the field, while at the same time, the story you told of his dominance on the field, seemingly not only through the eyes of his family, but through the competitors that talked about what it was like to go up against him. Can you talk about how you told that part of the story? Yeah, and that's kind of the way we present the documentary, because there's the there's the there's the Doc Halliday that we know, the, the baseball story that we know, but there's also this story that was going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about, uh, that he, starting at a very early point in his career, battled serious anxiety. You know, he threw up before every start. He started taking sleeping medication in Toronto before starts because he was just so amped up he couldn't get a good night's sleep. Uh, that continued when he was in Philadelphia, and then ultimately, when his body started breaking down, he became dependent on prescription pain medication, um, and his drug use continued in retirement. Not, not again, not because he was looking to get high, but because he had chronic pain, and he, like so many others in this country, uh, became chemically dependent on the drugs and. Uh, it just got a hold of him, and he needed to get some help to, to try to beat it. What did you learn about Roy? You know, if Roy was taking painkillers to prolong his career and try to continue this dominance, what did you learn about Roy, Roy as far as the decision to finally say, it's time? Well, what that did is it, it, it created a, a, a real push-pull and some tension at home. And uh, starting in 2000, really in earnest in early 2012, uh, he and Brandy had a number of conversations where she was, you know, increasingly adamant that she wanted him to walk away from the game of baseball because the cost was just getting too high. She, he was getting more limited in what he could do physically. I mean, this is. He, he had every contraption at home to uh, massage his back muscles. He had a hyperbaric chamber. He was doing all of these things to try to alleviate the back pain, um, which then led to shoulder problems. 
you know, it wasn't until his retirement press conference in 2013 that he acknowledged that he had pars fractures, which essentially are stress fractures in his back. The guy was pitching with a broken back for his last two years in Philadelphia. And we just saw him sort of fall off a cliff. He had that season that was off the charts in 2010. He had another great season in 2011. And then the, the fall was stunning. Like it's like one minute he's awesome and the next minute he's just human. And it was because he was hurt. It was because he was hurt. And, um, but he continued to pitch through it. And uh, that says something about how difficult it is for professional athletes to walk away from the game. But it also says a lot about how he was wired as a human being. You know, he was making $20 million a year, and he felt tremendous pressure to perform. And he put that pressure on himself. And, um, you know, we all know how, what athletes can go through playing in this market. You know, I, I, I live and work here. Uh, but, it's, but I don't think anybody put more pressure on themselves than Roy Halladay put on himself. As much as he loved the game with the struggles that he had, did it come across to you from the people you talked to that he actually was able to enjoy it? Or was he always living for that next shoe to drop where he wouldn't be seen as Roy Halladay? He would be seen as something less than, and therefore he couldn't really appreciate the dominance that he had. Look, I, I think on some level he enjoyed it. Obviously, it's what he wanted to do from the time he was a kid, and he realized his dream. Uh, but there's a, there's a story that Brandy tells that's, that's rather telling. Uh, after the perfect game uh, that he threw, you know, when she had a private moment with him after the game, his first comment was, thank God I didn't blow it. I mean, it wasn't he wasn't able to just celebrate in that moment and be proud of himself. And we've seen just from clips how, you know, he was always the guy to put credit elsewhere. You know, when he walked in after the no hitter, uh, you know, everybody wanted a speech, uh, you know, he wouldn't do it. He put all the praise on Chooch, um, you know, said, let's go win two more. Uh, you know, it, it was never about him, but, but, yeah, I just don't think the guy, at least according to his family members, ever really allowed himself enough moment to, to celebrate his own achievements. We've had a chance to talk to, to some of his teammates in the past, and he comes across as, as a guy who his teammates loved. Um, what was your sense from talking to the teammates about what kind of teammate and person he was? They, yeah, I mean, there's a reverence that comes to the fore when you talk to people about Roy Halladay. Uh, one of the people we in, who interviewed uh, on camera was Cal Kendrick. And, you know, they, when, when Roy was traded to the Phillies, Kendrick, um, he and Kendrick shared the same financial advisor. He was more than just a financial advisor. He was somebody who was a friend to them both. And it was that individual who said to Roy, you know, you should really take Kyle under your wing. <laughs> So they wound up training together, you know, in the wee hours of the morning, and their families socialized together. It got to the point where teammates nicknamed Kendrick Little, Little Roy, you know, jokingly <laughs> calling him Little Roy for sort of tagging along with, with, with the club's ace. And, um, but, you know, he loved them. You know, I, Chris Carpenter, another one, you know, he was, 
he remembers Halliday as like this gangly, skinny kid who came to the Blue Jays when Carpenter was with the Blue Jays. Um, and and then Halliday gets sent down, you know. <laughs> uh, he, that That's a part of this, the story that's that's often forgotten. I mean, the, Roy Halliday almost wasn't Roy Halliday. When he, when he first came up with the Blue Jays, he was one out away from a no-hitter in his second career start. But then in 2000, Roy Halladay had a 10.64 ERA. That remains the highest ERA in Major League Baseball history for a pitcher with at least 50 innings. <laughs> so think about that for a moment. The guy had the worst ERA in history. And then he comes back, and he's Roy Halladay. And, it, you know, in 2000, from 2002 to 2011, the guy had... He led the league in complete games, led the league in strikeouts, led the league in wins, led the league in shutouts. Uh, so, you know, players, they, they talk about him with, with, with reverence. As one guy put it, you know, he was your favorite player's favorite player. And, and that's, that's just the way they thought about him. John, we, we've been following you for a while. Your, your your new book on Larry Nassar is amazing. You've covered so many weighty topics, uh, important topics. What was it like to, as as a guy who lives in the Philadelphia area, to be able to cover something that, while still weighty, it is something that's closer to to you? Well, you know, you do so with. And this, and this dates back to like my early days working as a reporter. You know, we come into people's lives for a relatively short period of time. You know, it just so happens this project spans months. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you come into people's lives and you're asking them to share things about their lowest moment, you know, and or moments, and and, and that's tough. You know, so more than anything, you come out of that experience with a sense of gratitude for the people who are willing to talk to you. Um, you know, even today, like, there's this sort of, Brandy Halliday is, is, is really conflicted uh, about this story. She, she wanted to get her story out, but at the same time, doing that opens up old wounds, and, and, it, and it's tough. You know, the reality of the situation is he's gone, and, and she misses him terribly, and his boys miss him terribly. And, and you know, as a, a, we're, yes, we're reporters. We're supposed to be these detached observers, but we're also human beings, and, you know, I happen to be a parent, and I don't think there's anybody who can't sympathize with what that family has gone through. And, and certainly I sympathize, and, um, and I don't take it lightly that they – that Brandy and Braden and his father and his sister were willing to sit down and speak with us about this. The documentary is Imperfect, the Roy Halliday story. Comes out next Friday night, May 29th, the 10th anniversary of Roy's perfect game at 7 o'clock on ESPN. John, we can't thank you enough for the time. We hope maybe we can get you back another day to talk about some of your other work. Uh, we just wanted to try and stay focused on this because we think it's a story worth telling, too, in its own time. So we hope we can get you another day to talk about some of your other stuff. But thanks so much for giving us a few minutes to talk about this, and we look forward to seeing it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your interest. You have a great one. Uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Jeff, uh, that makes me even more interested and excited to see this. And I, I'm conflicted because we often want to celebrate the athlete, uh, but you know – 
how I feel about these things. I like when we see a, a complete story of the people. You know, these these athletes are people and they ride a roller coaster themselves. And it sounds like we're going to get a peek behind the curtain of the roller coaster that Roy Halliday was on to try and maintain the level he achieved while worrying that he wasn't able to live up to it or was going to disappoint people. We've already gotten a peek behind the curtain. Uh, some of the, there are things, look, we, you and I have followed Roy Halliday's career, especially from the time he came to Philadelphia pretty, pretty closely. We've, we probably know more than some of the people that listen to the show, but there was stuff that John just talked about. I had no idea. I didn't, no. I didn't, I didn't know about his father having a basement that was long enough to have a pitching mound it inside. It makes me and, feel like I'm like not good enough of a dad for my three year old that I like set up a bounce house down there instead no, no, no. of like look, look, look. setting it up for a pitcher's mound and stuff. All right, so 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 you've had me on this on the show towards the beginning of the show again on my soapbox many times about um, athletes, parent, parents of of kids. Um, while this may end up the story of Roy Halliday being a success um, and you hear the story of some of these successes for every one of those successes where kids are driven like that, there are countless number of kids that are not because they cannot handle the pressure and they're not meant to handle the pressure at such a young age. I mean, all, if, I, if I mention the name Todd Marinovich to you. What you immediately think of the train wreck that was that kid that from the moment he was born, he was put on a diet and and told he was going to be an NFL quarterback. And while he had the skills to do it, look what happened to him when he finally got away from his family and realized there's a world out there. You, there, you have to maybe one of the things that comes out of this is people realize there's a balance. There's always going to be those parents. Look, we're going to have Jeff Singer on in a couple minutes and he's, he's now training these kind of kids. So it's, I'm torn too. You know, as I've mentioned, as we talked about with John, you know, my son grew up wearing that number, uh, because of him, because of Roy Halliday and because of what he saw in him, not just on, on the mound, but the way he, carried himself and so we've had that discussion in my house about you know do you want to watch this is it and, and he does but how it, does but, that make you feel as a parent um does it take does it help that somebody who your son looked up to is basically admitting or people are admitting that that it wasn't as good as it seemed from what your son saw is that a life lesson that what you see is not always the reality that you can teach him. Or how do you handle this watching well, it as a parent? Well, it, it is. But what they're doing, I mean, the amount of work that went into this and getting the behind the scenes and talking to his his wife um, is something that you can't explain to a kid. Um, you know, there's there's never been a time that my kid has has wanted to get an autograph when he was little of an athlete or wanted to meet an athlete or just, you know, wore the jersey of an athlete that I haven't said to him, look, this is not somebody that you should just blindly idolize. If you want to like them because of what you see, and that's fine, but you don't know this story. You know them when they're out there on the the mound, on the diamond, on a football field, on a soccer field, on a basketball court, on an ice rink only for those two and a half hours to three hours. You don't know the rest of their story. And, and so, look, you, so you've already given the caveat to your son. You I've said, always done it. I, I, you, I, I, 
but 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 see, like so, to, you know, this goes right to the Charles Barkley thing. Who knows that this was where this would this discussion would go? But this goes to Charles Barkley saying, "I'm not a role model." Well, the the fact is, Charles, you are a role model. Even though parents like me say to our kids, "Don't use them as a role model," the fact is, they do, and that's the reality of the situation. So you have to say, to, if if you're going to parent your kid, you got to explain to your kid. That what you see out there, what you see when you wear your their jersey, it's not all of them. I, I'm not looking to to put them down because there. I mean, there are athletes that I, Dr. J is one of them. I mean, you know me. I'm not exactly a fanboy, but when I got to meet Dr. J, my you got child, a little fanboy. Yeah, you tried and, not to. But but I know he has foibles. I know he's not perfect, and 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 so that I don't I I don't follow these people blindly. But when you're a kid, you do because. Because you do get jerseys with their names on the back of them. You see, you see them on ESPN, you know, held up on a pedestal. You have their football or their baseball cards. You have posters of them on your wall. You have visions fixed in your head because if your kid's a sports kid, that's that's what they that's what they do, and you can't avoid it. But so you have to find a way to kind of level the playing field and just say, hey, do that if you want to do that. But but don't just don't just do what they say or do what they do. Have your own mind. And and that's the key is that everybody should, has a different path in life and a different path in sports. I still believe that while Roy Halladay may have had what he had, 2010 to me was one of the greatest seasons ever for a pitcher. Having, it sounds like being humbled going to the minors yeah, may but, have but, been the best thing for him. But weren't you weren't you just a tiny bit saddened by the fact that Roy Halladay pitched a perfect game, and we all saw him in the locker room afterwards giving Carlos Ruiz the credit, and and I believe that that was genuine humility. But then to say to his wife, he's glad he didn't blow it, to be motivated by fear as opposed to motivated by just being as good as you are by prep by preparing. I, I'm be honest with you. That's probably the most real thing you're going to see. And there's lots of people who will watch this mm-hmm. that feel that same way, even when they realize the ultimate successes they've been searching for. Mm-hmm. They think about all the things that could have happened to stop it or move on to the next thing for now. How do I replicate it? And so for me, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they they present this and we'll obviously talk more about it as we move forward but good job jeff uh, getting john to come on yeah you know the one thing i i do want to i'm glad we also got to talk about him as a teammate and as a person in the positive because i i i think what you're going to see from this documentary is is not just the things you didn't see before which are mostly not as as favorable but I hope that and I think that they're going to balance it out, knowing what a great job John does with stuff and what ESPN does with these kinds of things is that you're going to see a balance. And and people should never you know, walk away from this feeling differently about Roy Halliday, just realizing he's human. He's and we, as, as the title says, he's imperfect. We didn't really right? ask him about it. But, you know, the, uh, people are out there saying, oh, look at ESPN dumping all their documentaries now. He took that on directly. This was always planned to come out on the 10th anniversary of, 10th of anniversary his perfect game. His, yeah. And, and so, by the way, whoever at ESPN is responsible for titling these things deserves a huge applause because, look, the la- I know that Phil Jackson came up with the name The Last Dance for the season, but coming up with it as the title of that documentary was great. I cannot think of a better title for what the, we're about to see next Friday than Imperfect. 
And if you have not seen, it's a two and a half minute trailer about. And if you haven't seen the trailer, there is no way that you will watch that trailer and not be counting the days till you can see that documentary. We'll tweet it out from the show account at the Heart of Sports uh, later tonight, so you can watch it. By the way, Jeff, I never give a plug, but after the show, if you if people don't catch us live, there's lots of places they can listen to us. Right? We're on mm-hmm. Spotify and SoundCloud. There's a lot of places I, I don't you. even know where they are. I enjoyed that. I sent you the list of places <laughs> that we are, and you're like, these exist. My head exploded. So we're gonna put that out too on our account at the Heart of Sport, or you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, um, we're going to be putting out the individual interviews now that you can catch and along with the whole show afterwards. Right. But figure we should give a plug for ourselves. We never really do that. We get so into talking about things that it's like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Uh-huh. Jeff, let's talk about baseball a little bit. 67 pages. More baseball. More baseball. 67 yeah. pages is uh, how long the report was that Major League Baseball sent to the MLBPA. No, the recommendations. Okay, so some of those recommendations include no spitting, no high fives, uh, no mascots in the stadium, social distancing for the national anthem. Wait, 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 time out. You, you just mentioned the most devastating one. Are you telling me that the Philly fanatic cannot be at these games? I'm not telling you. Major League Baseball is telling you. I'm just letting you know what Major League Baseball apparently said. Okay. Now, I, I understand. Now, I'm guessing the reason they didn't do it is the reason that I'm going to give. The only practical reason for not having a mascot there is if they have a proboscis that's too long for a mask. So What is this? So, a spelling bee? <laughs> proboscis? I get you with your little I don't know. I guess I could have gone with nose. Out some words. I could have gone with nose, but I was watching that Seinfeld. I don't know if you saw that Seinfeld Netflix uh, thing. I screen. didn't see it. But, but no, I hate when you ask me these things on the air, and I'm like, nope, haven't done it. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. All right. but, but I understand. I understand that if it's because it's a little hard to find a mask for the fanatic, let alone if you saw the 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 um, the PSA that Nick Saban did. Nick that Saban was, was actually funny. He, 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 I, he talking about how their mascot, which is an elephant, isn't wearing a mask. But then again, if I were the mascot, my retort would have been, "Find me a mask long enough for my elephant trunk, and I'll be good." Apparently, the MLBPA is going to respond with wide-ranging suggestions. Uh, they have questions about high-risk players, family members, sanitation, sanitization protocols, lots of things to work out. But it does seem like these sports continue to move towards reopening regardless of the advice in different states um are do you still think that we're on track i mean we we saw nascar back out there the soccer league is no no pun intended nascar NASCAR, very good i gotta find out one day i need to have keith on to find out what, what you have against nascar and how he got into nascar I because nothing, I think I, honestly, I have nothing against NASCAR. I just don't really feel like just watching it drive around in a circle. It's just not my thing. I, I don't have I have nothing against other people watching it. It's just, you know, watching them go around in the circle. What is it? They always making rights or are they always making lefts. I forget. They're making lefts, Jeff. Okay, all right. See, circle. So, so you clearly are the NASCAR expert. I am the NASCAR expert. I am also the wrestling expert. And I noticed that when you talked with Keith Pompey on his Locked on Sixer show on Monday, recapping the last dance, you said you were not aware that Dennis Rodman had appeared on a wrestling TV show during the playoffs. You and needed you to did. phone. Yeah. You needed to phone a friend. Phone because a friend. 
you needed to phone a friend because if you did that, I could have told you that I remember that Nitro when Dennis Rodman right. showed up. All right. Well, time out since you want to be playing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I'm going to phone a friend, okay? Go ahead. You do it. Jeff Singer, are you there? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, so we have Jeff Singer, who's who's the everybody's got to pay attention because he's going to he's our South Jersey boy and he's going to be a Phillies left handed pitcher very, very soon, hopefully when they come back. But Jeff, since since Jason's got me on this, did you remember or do you did you know that Dennis Rodman (laughs) decided to skip out? Because I know you've been watching The Last Dance. Did you know that he skipped out to go do wrestling? I knew he made a wrestling appearance just for me being a wrestling fan. I love WWE. I love WWF when I was a kid, and I'm watching that stuff now as this is going on. I did know he appeared. I just didn't know it was during playoffs, which is wild. I'm I'm glad to hear that you like it. Now, now I've watched you as as kind of a leader on on, for Reading and for the Iron Pigs. If if one of your teammates, I won't use any teammate as an example, but just say one of your teammates decided in the middle of a playoff, in the finals of the Eastern League Championship or the AAA Championship, one of them decided to just disappear and not come to practice the day before a game, and you found out he was he was out doing some other sport or entertainment, how would you respond to that? I feel it would definitely be something that athlete would have to be held accountable for. And whether that's – and, again, that's going to be up to the our manager, the Phillies organization for what would happen to them. My thought process would probably be I would definitely have a different feeling towards the kid. You know, I would be a little upset with it. But as it would go on, I definitely would probably ask him what was it like, how was it, because I would definitely be interested. You had a tweet recently. I'm obviously still watching The Last Dance, but you give me the warm fuzzies for baseball coming back. You summed summed up how many people are playing with a tweet. Could really go for a 12-hour bus ride and play a doubleheader. Um, Talk about what this time has been like. Pre-pandemic, you had the chance to play a little little winter ball in the Puerto Rican Winter League. Can you talk about what that experience was like for you? Um, yeah, that tweet was one of those things, you know, I was sitting at home playing video games and I was just like, I'd rather be on the bus with my teammates right now, grinding, got, knowing that we have a doubleheader against Bowie or Hartford or some team like that, you know, it's just something where the grind, you know, it's one of those things where everyone tells you, you're not going to miss this stuff until it's over. And I kind of understand it right now, you know, it's tough for everyone, but uh, Puerto Rico is amazing. That's something I'm so glad that I did going to Puerto Rico and playing for Santerce and uh, it was definitely an experience I'll never forget you know on and off the field I just had a great time the atmosphere at the stadiums were awesome the teammates the coaches everything was just amazing and then obviously living in Puerto Rico for over a month and a half was had its purse too you know I had a great time I really got to explore the uh, area and really enjoy it. So you you have a teammate from back here who was one of your teammates in Puerto Rico, John Hernandez. Uh, did you did you get a chance to have John show you around the island? Because we've talked to him about playing in the Puerto Rico Winter League before, and and he's talked about it. Um, kind of, did you get a sense? Did you get a tour from him? Anything? Um, yeah, me and Jan uh, played together for a while uh, in the Phillies organization, and. Uh, you know, coming there, I explored it my way. Um, he told me some good places to go, which was really cool. Gold told me some good restaurant spots and uh, kind of gave me the layout of the good places to go and the places to stay away from. So 
he helped me out a lot. Um, it was definitely great having a familiar face in a clubhouse to where I really didn't know anyone else besides him, which was good. You know, it helped me introduce myself to guys and uh, just get me kind of embraced in the culture, what I really enjoyed. Jeff, you before we all went into pandemic mode, um, you you had a pretty good last six months. You did well in the Puerto Rican Winter League. And then just so people know the stats, before the pandemic, you had pitched in Philly spring training and had a 0.00, as Dean Wormer would say, a 0.00 whip, and you had 27 strikeouts per nine innings. What was it like to pitch in Philly spring training? It was great. You know, um, I enjoy it. I try to take advantage of every opportunity I get when I the big club says they need their minor league guys to come help out and help out the big league squad. And it's something I really enjoy. You know, it's really great to just meet the guys in the big leagues and just introduce yourself, you know, pick their brains, pick the brains of the coaching staff. And I just really enjoy it every time I get to go over there and help the big league club out. Um, and so- yeah, um, it wasn't my first, uh, time pitching up in the big league games for spring training so i feel like i'm a little used to it now you know there's always going to be those butterflies and jitters but i enjoy that and just one of those things where it just happened to be my day and i was really lucky and i was happy it uh pulled through yeah just just so everybody knows he 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 pitched to four batters and struck out all four so do you it when you get to that point do you get kind of a big head at least for a day and say you know i struck out a bunch of major leaguers no, you know, definitely in my mind I'm excited, but, you know, you can't – for me it's just another day. It's another time just to get out and work on my craft and try, try to show what the big club I'm capable of doing. You know, it's uh, baseball is one of those sports where you can really get humbled by the game. There's been times that I haven't pitched so well, and then there's been times I pitched that well. So, you know, baseball is one of those games that really humbles you, and you just got to keep on trying to get better and better each day. You're a guy who, through their life experiences, has a pretty good perspective on this all. You, you worked at a car dealership to to get your chance to go pitch, to then make your way up and get your shot in the Phillies organization. How are you handling this downtime now and, and trying to keep that momentum going that you have until you wait to be ready? I'm just trying to work on the stuff that I wouldn't really be able to work on during the season, I guess. Um during the season, I'm able to really work on, one, my pitching mechanics, which I'm still working on, but it's also here I'm able to really have the time to break down, really break down my mechanics and see what's been working for me. I've also been trying to stick with workouts, whether it's outside or inside. You know, during the season, you kind of want to maintain your uh, weight, maintain your power, maintain your strength. And during these times, I'm kind of trying to get stronger and stronger and faster and faster as this is going on so when if we get the call hey we're playing in two weeks let's be ready i should hopefully be ready so for me it's tough you know it's tough for everyone and kind of keep an open eye to it you know there's other people that are working right now that are really helping our cause with everything that's going on you know you got the people the nurses the doctors everyone that's still working right now you know they're the ones that are really helping everything out that i think are the most important in addition to continuing to work on your craft, um, I've noticed that you're uh, helping others, that, that you are doing a little bit of teaching uh, with the Scanzanos who happened to have uh, taught my kid when he was younger, 
uh, in his baseball days. What's it been like for you as as a pitcher who's currently working on his own craft to also give that advice to to younger kids? It's great. You know, I'm really lucky to have guys like John and Mike Scanzano having their facility. You know, I've been working there since 2015 and I've been coaching and training kids there and they really helped me out. And they're just a great group of guys. And one thing I'd like to add with them is that they're starting the prep program for 2020 grads and uh, Milt Thompson just got the head coaching job of the team. So I think that's really big for them and the Scanzano sports complex. I think that'll be really big for kids that don't really know too sure where they'll end up after all this is over, whether they were seniors in high school that still haven't committed anywhere, juniors in high schools that still haven't committed anywhere. You know, it's really kind of a good thing that that's somewhere you can go and get coached by possibly one of the best, which is awesome. So I think that's something Scanzanos are doing a great job at. And for me, when I'm giving lessons, I love it because when I'm teaching a kid hey, we got to work on the balance and keeping your leg up, load the hip. It's also reminding myself that's stuff I need to work on too. And that's one thing that I really like about being a coach, being a trainer at Scanzano Sports. This is obviously something we've never seen before. What advice do you have for high school seniors who maybe lost their senior season, waiting to figure out where they're going to play next? You're somebody who's had to play that waiting game. It hasn't always been a straight line. Any advice that you give them to try and get through this? Biggest thing for me is just keep working hard and keep grinding. If you're good enough, there is going to be people out to watch you. There is going to be people keeping up on you. If you're good enough and if you believe you're good enough, there will always be someone watching, I feel. I remember I was at JUCO. I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm not too familiar with JUCO, and everyone just keeps saying, like, hey, good program. And, again, doesn't matter really where you are. If you're a good enough player, coaches will come to see you. And that's something I think right now these kids should be working on is what are my, what aren't I so good at that I can right now be making better while the stuff that I'm really good at, you know, take a step back from that and I can just really work on some of my weaknesses over my strengths right now during this time. All right, Jeff, before we let you go, I got a couple top three, top three questions for you. Who are your the All top right. three teammates that you miss the most right now? Um, I would say Drew Stankowitz, Luke Leftwich, and Austin Bosart. Why? <laughs> um, me and Drew Stankowitz, he was my <laughs> me and Drew Stankowitz, he was my former teammate with the Phillies, and he was actually going to be playing in the Mexican League this year. Um, he was probably one of my best friends on the in the organization. Me and him are one of the two guys that just clicked. Every time we were just around each other, we were always joking around. Having him in the locker room was always a great time. And me and him were usually roommates on the road or roommates during the um, at home where we would get to get apartments together. Luke Leftwich is someone I get really long, along with. You know, he's another reliever in the bullpen. One of the guys I always talk about, uh, talk to in the bullpen. Another guy that kind of uh, kind of puts me in my place sometimes, which I really like. Um, you know, it's just one of those kids that really humbles you. And then Austin Bosart was probably the best catcher I ever thrown to um, one-on-one all the time. Like, he was one of my catchers I really embraced and just someone I really trusted as a catcher. You know, I that rarely shake. We were always on the same page. And then him 
going to UPenn, I'd always mess with him because he'd always get called a Philly guy, and he never really liked that, which I thought was funny. So um, just <laughs> those three those three guys were definitely three guys I really clicked with in the Phillies organization. But by the way, watching you and your teammates in the bullpen – uh, back in Reading was is one of my fondest memories, especially when Austin Bosart came to the plate because you guys always seemed to have a fun little thing ready to, to go when he was being called to the we, plate. We always, every year for the last two, three years, maybe, Austin told, let us take control of his walkout song and we came up with the idea of Mortal Kombat, which I love that movie. I love the video game and it was just great. So, Every time he came up and you just heard Mortal Kombat, I don't think many people noticed, but our whole bullpen would erupt, erupt and start doing some shadow kicks and shadow punching. And what other think, people might not know is the first time we used that walkout for him, he probably hit a 426-foot bomb to left field, and we just went even crazier. So that's something, you know, we really cherished and remembered playing with Bozart. We expect you guys now to do a little Mortal Kombat Zoom session so that we can see you all dancing to the music in the background. We we'll might look have, forward to I that. Might have to set, I might have to call the Reading Bullpen and get those started involved in it. Uh, sounds good to me. We'll look forward to it. We, oh, we wait. Always... I do, I have, wait, wait, wait. I have one more question for Jeff. So, right. Jeff, I've been following your tweets about The Last Dance. You seem to be very fond of one of the security guards for Michael Jordan. That dude's awesome. Okay, so I got to ask you, if if he were going to be in an 80s rock band, which one would it be? <laughs> I know exactly which guy oh, you're talking 80, about, too. An 80s <laughs> rock band? Honestly, I can see him being with Hall & Oates. I know they're not too rock, but I can see him crushing it with Hall & Oates with the muscle. Oh, come on. All, all right, I'm going to give you a band, Sticks. Okay, you got okay. that, Jeff. So I like Sticks. I like their music. I couldn't tell you what anyone in the band looks like, though. All right. After this is over, look up Tommy Shaw from Sticks in the 1980s and tell me that's not a dead All right. ringer. All right. See, so Jeff, while you go teaching other people how to play baseball, uh, I'm here with Jeff teaching people about classical music for, for them at yeah. this point that they don't know about. So we, we wish you the best of luck with everything. We can't wait to see you back on the field and always appreciate the time you give us, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on again, guys. All right. Take care of yourself. See on the diamond. Je- Jeff, going? look at you. You're, you're like educating people now. I'm you, telling you, if, if you take one look at, at an old stick photo, look at this album cover. I'm telling you, the guy looks like he belonged in that band. He certainly didn't look like, by the way, did he look like a security guard to you? No. Did he look like all. he was stopping? This guy is, I don't know, know what his height is, but he doesn't look like he's to be guarding a guy who's six six and his cut is Michael Jordan. He was good at gambling, though. <laughs> I, I do want I to talk. I don't understand that game. I, I mean, I, we've talked about gambling before, but really gambling on throwing a quarter closest to the wall? Just wait. I'm going to get to you gambling on the Tiger <laughs> Phil exhibition this weekend. So we'll get there. Okay. But let's talk Last Dance again for a minute. There were a few things that stuck out to me. Obviously, Rodman going to wrestle. I could have seen parts 11 and 12 of this. One, the breaking down of that Bulls team, and then... Jordan coming back, uh, that would have been interesting to me. I had no idea of the Steve Kerr backstory. That was fascinating to me to watch. Well, I I think you could do a a 30 for 30. You're not going to do a 10-part series on him. But I did know the story about Steve Kerr's father. Um, 
Steve Kerr is probably one of the most interesting figures in sports in the last 20 years. Between um, him playing and getting to where he got to, to making, I mean, just making the NBA seem like a long shot. How he got a, a scholarship when he had no scholarships at the last minute, got one to Arizona of all places. Um, and what he made of it is interesting enough, but also th- the fact that his father was was murdered in, in Lebanon to the point that also, also as a coach, not only is he a successful coach, and just the decision, Think, keep in mind, anybody who's watched The Last Dance knows how much Steve Kerr uh, respects um, Phil Jackson, right? The fact is, Phil Jackson, when he went to the Knicks as the president, asked, offered the job to Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr had the choice between the Knicks and Golden State and said no. I and think it he was, chose right. I know, but it but it, it just goes to show you, I mean, that decision alone, I would love to know what went into and what discussions went into making that decision. But also, Steve Kerr has been very outspoken politically on on social issues and and so i just find him i hope someday soon there's a a a 30 for 30 or 60 60 on him because he is a fascinating sports figure while many people enjoyed the documentary apparently not everybody's happy with it horace grant little snippy yeah apparently Uh, apparently pip is not not scotty pippen is beyond livid uh he felt like up until the last few minutes of game six against the jazz it was just bash scotty bash scotty bash scotty according to david kaplan on espn 1000 do you you agree with that because i actually i've never been a fan of scotty pippen's and i i still don't i think that his statement first of all not coming into that playoff game for those last couple seconds was bad enough him saying at this point I would if I had it to do over again, I'd still do the same thing. I didn't think that helped him tone deaf things I've ever heard. But I still think it made him look better than I thought it would make him. I did. I I thought that Michael didn't miss an opportunity to take a shot when it was there. But he didn't. Who did he not take a shot at other than Phil? That's the thing. And that I think that's why you're seeing people sort of come back and say, you know, this isn't exactly what it was so i'll be interested to see what else comes out in the coming weeks now that this is done but i thoroughly enjoyed the documentary i was highly entertained the, the person that i came out of it if, if you ask me who did i come out of it appreciating more it was phil jackson phil jackson was never my favorite as a coach see, i thought it was going to be dennis rodman <laughs> yeah right but you're going to be putting leopard no, print no. on your hair by the time this quarantine to show done. you how good a job they did producing this and directing this documentary after 10 hours of of film after going through hundreds of hours to come up with ending this thing on the guys being told to come to the locker room one last time and talk about their feeling for the team and put that in the burn it their thoughts in the can and then light a match to it Uh, like you couldn't write a movie with a better ending than that could you it was definitely very good. Jeff, we've got about three minutes left. I want to run through some things real fast. NHL is yep. looking at a 2014 tournament. You down? Good luck, because uh, we apparently can't go across the border to Canada right now, so I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know how that's going to work. So, the union resumed not, in... Not down yet, because I don't know how it's going to work. But yeah, what's next? Uh, union resumed individual workouts on Monday. Potential talk of a tournament in Orlando. Think it's going to happen? I want it up here. I want to you see want it here. So bad. Like, yeah, go ahead. 
nice. NCAA seems like they're leaving it to some of the conferences to decide if they're going to open back up. Uh, see, good idea, see, bad idea. Bad, bad, bad idea. It, what could go wrong? Uh, yeah, well, as as Luke Riley said, or what? What is? Is, is that I got the name right? Who? Well, whatever the Oklahoma coach, whatever his name is. Oh, Lincoln um, Riley. Lincoln Come on, Riley. you know this. Yeah, um, I think he's right. I think that they're only going to get one shot at this, and so, and rushing it back is a bad idea. So here's what they're staring at, though, and I think that this is a financial decision, not a health decision. Canceling a college football season would result in a $4 billion loss for college athletic programs. Fine. Just, just don't forget, these are college students I who are, not, do not get paid, and they're about to be guinea pigs. I didn't to say— make money for the NCAA. I didn't say anything about the players. I said I believe that that will factor a lot into the decision-making of all of these people. Jeff, I mentioned that you have the opportunity to gamble this weekend. I know you're going to be watching Tiger and Peyton against Phil and Tom Brady— um, yeah. Oh, you're definitely going to be watching. Well, you're going to go watching. from Korean baseball in the middle of the night right. to Tiger and Phil that day. Um, which <laughs> bet is the one that so you're I'm going, be going tired to place? Today, is what you're saying. One which minute one? left. Which prop bet are you going to go with? Which ones are you giving me? What are my uh, choices? Peyton Manning fairway and regulation hole number one. Longest tee it's, shot. No, it's got it's got to be it's got to be a Tiger Phil thing. I'm, I'm, okay. I don't, I'm not going to bet on two football quarterbacks that i've never seen play golf oh you don't want to do that maybe what style hat will phil mickelson wear that is a prop bet that you can have if it's a baseball cap it's minus 220 what are the other choices he's Um, not gonna wear a sombrero like what what is he gonna wear like an old grandpa sun hat like what oh my goodness they'll wear between besides a baseball cap Apparently, there's some charity holes. $25 million if anybody gets a hole in one on the Michelob Ultra holes. Jeff, plenty of us to watch. Any final thoughts before I give us a sign off? I just hope they don't end it if it's in a tie on like closest to the pin. Nobody likes a tie. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>